Well, this morning, let's turn to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. And this morning, we want to look at verses 22 down through verse 25 for our exposition this morning. James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Let's give heed and listen to the Word of God this morning. Here he says in verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now, children, that just simply means like a mirror. The word glass in the uh, biblical times here means uh, a mirror. So he's like a man who beholds his natural face in a mirror or the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So these are the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning in our sermon. Now, first of all, in our immediate Context: James has been discussing here the Word of God. First of all, in verse 18, he shows us, first of all, that by the Word or through the Word, that men are born again. Notice he says here in verse 18, Of his own will begot he us, that is the word begotten having to do there with being born again, he us with the Word of truth. So it's by the Scripture or the Word of truth that men are born again. This is the means by which God has chosen to save those who believe. The Scripture, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 2, affirms this, or actually chapter 1. He says, uh, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." So Peter affirms the words here of James that the Scripture or the Word of God, the Word of Truth, the Gospel, is the means by which men and women are born again. Secondly, from this point, James implies then there are some immediate duties and relationship in the new birth or the truth of the new birth being begotten by the Word of God. And that's found in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And the reason why, he tells us in the next verse, is because these things don't work the wrath of God. That is, if we're angry or have sinful wrath, that does not work the righteousness of God. That's what I meant to say. uh, before, Before Him. So the idea here is, when we're born again, there are to be some immediate reaction. And that is, we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And that's what we looked at a few weeks ago. The exhortation here is, in the context, to be swift to hear is to hear what? The Word of God. The context is found on the previous verse, and it's also found two verses later. It's the Word of God, brethren, that we're to be swift to hear. Uh, We read that passage from the book of Ecclesiastes, telling us when we come to divine worship, one of the things we're to do is to be quiet. Sounds hard to believe, doesn't it, in our day and time that with all the foolishness that goes on in the name of public worship before God, that the Bible itself commands us, for instance, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and beginning there is verse 1, to watch it, to be careful when we come into God's house to be quiet. 
The scripture says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. So when we come to public worship, one of the things that ought to be closed is our mouths, and one of the things that ought to be open are our ears. And so, brethren, we need to take heed. If you are saved this morning, if you have experienced the grace of the new birth through the Word of God, then one of the things it teaches us is to be what? Swift to hear. Secondly, to be slow to speak and then slow to wrath. So that's the second thing we're taught in the context of all of this. The third thing, even again from James, is that he exhorts his readers here to lay aside sinful conduct and practices. Here again is another fruit of the new birth. Salvation doesn't cause us to go on living in sin and debauchery. Salvation is something that turns us from the sinful lifestyle to begin to live holy unto the Lord. And James tells us this, that one of the outworking of hearing the Word of God, laying apart all these things that we shouldn't, is not to do the things that are filthy and naughty. Notice in verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God. So we see then we're to put away sinful practices. Brethren, if you're coming to hear God's Word, this ought to be evident in your life. Are you putting away sinful conduct, sinful practices? Here again, Peter affirms this to us, does he not? Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Again, that's said in the context of what we read a while ago. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God. So we see here then, we see the exhortation to lay aside these things. And then, from verse 21 again, we see that the context bears that we are to receive with meekness the engrafted Word. So the exhortation is to put away sin and to receive the Word of God in a particular manner. How are we to receive the Word of God? In meekness, childlikeness, being submissive and humble. Again, Peter reminds us, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Again, Peter and James are right on track together, aren't they? There's no big differences, or there actually are no differences between what James and the other apostles say and believe. That's that's a lie that the devil has used to cause men to trust in their own works. And we'll see this more when we get into chapter 2 of the book of James. And so then we see then in all of this, verse 22, but be doers of the word. So James lets us know here that good hearing, first of all, is essential in our reception of God's word. Receive with meekness. Remember he says, the engrafted word. 
Hearing the Word in James' day was the primary means by which the Word of God was assimilated. It's true, they had Bibles or they had parts of Scripture that obviously were given to, to the churches and they were able to read from them. But the main primary means of grace in that day, as well as in our own day, is the preaching of the Word of God. It's true, again, that we are told to read the Scriptures, we are told to search the Scriptures, and we are told to study the Scriptures. But it is through the preaching, in particular, that God has chosen to be the primary means of grace in this matter. So James' readers knew this. He's not writing to them something foreign to their understanding. This was just the way it was. That if you wanted to have knowledge, and in particular knowledge of God's Word, you would assemble with the saints of God and you would hear the Scriptures taught. And brethren, let me assure you this morning, we cannot improve upon God's method. I realize there are those who are in the business of seeing how much they can depart from God's ways and means of getting and assimilating the Scriptures out to the brethren or to people. But the fact of the matter is, preaching is still the primary means of grace. That's why we do put a great stress upon the main focus of our worship. It's not singing. It's not even praying. It is the Word of God. That's the main focus. Why? Because that's the main focus in the Scriptures. It's not all the tomfoolery going on in modern churches today. It's the Word of God that is to be central in the worship of God. And woe to the churches who have superseded that with all the other nonsense that's going on today. It's the Word of God that is to be number one. Look in 1 Corinthians. And Paul, of course, has to fight this with the Corinthians. They were choosing other methods and means. They were wanting to hear philosophy taught. And Paul here in the Corinthians tells them, no, look, you need to get back to some of the basics here. The basics of preaching of the cross. Because that is the means of God has chosen. Notice what he says in verse 17 of chapter 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And by the way, it still is. It's still in the 21st century foolishness to those who perish. When we stand and we proclaim Christ crucified in the way and manner that the Bible does, people still consider it foolish. I mean, what's this? Someone standing there harping on us about the Bible? That's stupidity. Well, that's exactly what... I'm not surprised at all when they try to refute the Bible in regards to the importance of preaching. Because to them it's foolish. It's a waste of time. We need better ways of communicating God's truth. The old way of preaching is outmoded. It's outdone. We need something more modern. No, the Bible says this is good. So we shouldn't be surprised then when people count it foolishness. But he goes on to say, but unto us, that is to the believer, what is it? It's the power of God. You see, we know better. Unfortunately, the reason why there's a lot of strength zapped out of Christianity today is because of so little preaching that's going on. Preaching is not what it ought to be, both in the pulpit and also in the pew. It's seen as a 
if not even that, a second-rate way of distributing or disputing the go- uh, getting the gospel out unto men. I'm not doing a very good job of it today, am I? But getting the gospel out unto those who need to hear it, and especially God's people, because it's to us. Notice that, not to the to those who'll never believe, but to us who do believe. It is what the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, verse 19, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So when they come to us and they tell us that our methods are outdated, they are the fools, not us. They are the ones who think they are wise, but God says He's made those wise people foolish. So really, who's... Who's the dummy here? Us or them? I'll stick with the preaching of the Word as the main focus of the worship of God, if you please. And by the God's grace, that's what will continue here. Why? Because this is what God has chosen. Do you really think that man is smarter than God in these matters? I hope not. Well, we won't take time to read all of 1 Corinthians, but it certainly is good for information in regards to... Paul knew... What was going to happen when he preached? He said, to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it's foolishness. So what did Paul do? Knowing that, what did he go ahead and do? What did he do? He preached anyway. He said, well, it's not going to be accepted if you do it that way. Exactly. That's why Paul said it. He knew he was going to get bad results, and he did it anyway. So much for the friendly seeker nonsense today, isn't it? That's out there. No, Paul preached because that's what God sent him to do. And brethren, we should do the same. And so the idea here is we are to receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God. And brethren, we will do our souls good if we take the time to cultivate good habits and listening to the Word of God preached. That's why we have dealt in a series in dealing with preaching. Just how to come to God's house and hear. Because we don't take it for granted that people know how to be good listeners. In fact, they're most of the time sitting in front of the TV and they're watching things moving so fast they don't have time to soak it in. Well, preaching's not like the television. It's not like sports and a game where everything's continually moving. There is some thought process that needs to be going on in the idea of preaching. And so we've taught the brethren how to hear God's Word. And brethren, you ought to heed this. You ought to cultivate good ways in which to listen to God's Word. And it would do us well as pastors and those studying for the ministry to cultivate good preaching skills. Despite how I do it, we ought to be trying to preach better in order to lay forth the Word of God to the people of God. So we need to realize this morning, hearing is essential to sound worship to God. Don't think that you've come to God's house and paid Him His due, so to speak, if you haven't listened well. You're fooling yourself. Now, I'm saying all this because when we come to verse 22, people are going to say, okay, see there? It's not really talking about hearing. It's more talking about the doing. That's not what the text says. Actually, the text says this, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. 
Most people want to leave out, leave out the word only there. In reality, we are to be good hearers and to be good doers. And so that's the warning we see here this morning in our text. So we see two things from verse 22, a warning and an exhortation. Well, what's the warning? Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So the exhortation and warning here this morning is be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now again, in James saying this, he is in no way putting aside or putting down the idea of hearing the word. No, James here expects us to listen and to listen attentively to God's Word. What he is warning us about, though, is being hearers only. Again, notice the text. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Now, we may wonder about all of this and stressing all of this if... The word only is not there. But it is, isn't it? We are to be good hearers so that we can, in reality, be good doers. How can you do if you don't know what to do? If you don't hear properly, how can you obey properly? So James is really expecting us here to be good hearers as well as to being good doers. But if we're only hearers, What's James' concern here in our text? What's the concern of James if you come through the door this morning and you sit down and you listen and you may drink all of this in and you may take your notes and you may follow along in your Bible, but if you go back out that door and you don't obey, what does James say? He says you're deceiving your own selves. We would say it this way today. You're fooling yourself. You listen to the exhortation from God's Word, whether private or public is neither, neither here nor there for that matter. But let's just take it in a public sense here. You're being preached to. You hear God's Word Sunday after Sunday, Sabbath after Sabbath, Wednesday night. You hear the Word, all those things. What are you doing with it? Are you obeying it? Or when I do have to take you aside because you won't do your duties... And you have to be told again and again, look, you need to be doing this. And you go on as if you never were instructed. What does that tell you about yourself? Well, look at the text. You've deceived yourself. You're being deceived. Notice in the present tense as well. Deceiving your own selves. Not that you were once deceived. You are continually doing it with this lifestyle, with this conduct of only being a hearer and not a doer. Well, what does it mean to do then? If we're to be doers of the Word, what does that mean? Well, it means simply to obey. To listen to the exhortations and then take those exhortations and live them out in your lives. I'll give you an example. We talked about this morning about how uh, authority and how that we're to be submissive to all spheres of lawful authority in our lives. And we can preach on wives being submissive to their husbands and being quiet and being all of those things that wives do. And then the wives go through the doors and they go home and they're the boss again. 
Well, while they're here, they're going to look holy and they're going to appear to be submissive. But when they get out from under those doors on the way home, they're chewing their husband's ears off. You think they're hearers only? I think so. Or the children this morning, they sit in here that they're to be obedient and respectful and honoring their parents. And then they go home and then they ignore what mommy and daddy has said. Where do you think they fit at in this text? I say they're deceiving themselves. Or you know from the Word of God that Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you've got to go to work. And the Bible says you're to treat your employer just as you treat Christ. Just as you submit to Christ, you should submit to your employer. Not back-talking, not purloining, I mean stealing. You're to go there, do your work, be submissive, be quiet, do your job. At the workplace, work. That's what I was told. It was a joke, but that's what I was told at the state of Kansas when I used to work. The, the um, personnel manager used to interview everyone that came in and got the job. And he stressed, at the workplace, work. Apparently, not too many people listened to that. But it was good advice. At the workplace, work. Not eat, not play. And not do everything else but that. What are we to do? Now, of course, you mean, you realize, I say, realize that if that stuff's allowed, that's fine. But if the boss says work, that's what you're to do. You're to obey him in all things until he tells you to depart from the Word of God. That's what it means, brethren, to hear the Word. Now, let's say you hear that today and then you go out the door and then you don't do them, what does the Bible say of yourself here? Look at it. Look at verse 22 carefully. It says here this morning, you're deceiving yourselves. If you're not obedient in the Word of God, to the Word of God, you're deceiving yourselves. In reality, you may wonder about your profession, whether it's real or not. The Lord Jesus says it this way. Looking back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 24. This is the closing part. This is the application to the Sermon on the Mount. And He just gave that awful warning that everyone who stands before Him at the last day, there will be some who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? And he will tell them finally, I never knew you. Depart me from me, ye that work iniquity. And then he says, therefore, in verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So this is first illustration here. He says, a man who hears my word and obeys it is like this. He's like a fellow who, who builds a house upon a sturdy and sound, solid foundation. So when the storms come, it won't wash it away, because it's founded upon this rock. So that's the way to be. That's how a wise man would do. He's not some dummy like me who would go build something. He wouldn't pay any attention to the foundation. 
and then he would build it on something that would wash away. He says, a wise man's not like that. He will build on a foundation that is sturdy and strong and secure. He says, that's the way a man who hears and obeys is like. But on the other hand, he says, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, they're good hearers. Notice, they're listening. And doeth them not, shall be likened to a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You see the illustration there. Here you have a dummy who goes out and builds a house, and he puts it on a foundation that's not secure, that's sandy. Well, what's going to happen when the rains and the floods come, and the wind? Well, it's going to wash that sand right out from under that house, and then the house is going to go down, isn't it? He says, that's the way a man is like when he comes to hear God's Word, but he leaves not obedient. Is there any like that here this morning? We once, when we were preaching through a series on how to hear God's Word, I actually tabulated how many sermons a Christian hears in years' time. I think we did ten years and we came up. That was a lot of sermons. And so if you're going to be listening to a lot of sermons, you ought to be trying to be good at it. Get cultivated at it. But again, all of that will matter little, brethren, if we don't go from here being obedient to Christ and His laws. How many here this morning are good hearers, but you don't do? It's a question that needs to be asked. Not only by myself as your pastor who watches over your soul, who has concern for you, who loves you, who studies for you, who preaches to you, and you listen to on a regular basis. I have to ask, are you a hearer or are you a doer? Don't be like those of Ezekiel who painted a very good picture about Ezekiel. Boy, he's a good... His voice... Well, that wouldn't be me. But his voice is like a song. But they never obeyed. You can tell me how much you enjoyed the sermon afterwards. You can tell me how well I outlined it. And boy, you were able to follow it. You liked how I put those verses in. All that good stuff that's pleasing to hear. But what I really... I like to hear that. But what I really want to hear is have you been obedient? Have you put... You know, I never hear that. I never hear, you know, I obeyed what you said last week. Never once have heard that. Not that you need to run up and tell me. That's just the point. We're, make, we, we, we're so concerned about hearing and we ought to be, but then we put the doing aside. We ought to be concerned about that as well. Remember last week I asked, how many took serious consideration and a conscientious desire to do what? To be slow to speak. Or no, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Well, it still goes. How many have done that? How many have been obedient to that exhortation? How many are going to be obedient to this exhortation today? And this warning? Because brethren, what's the, what's the downfall in all of this? Notice he says in verse 22, you're deceiving your own self. You may deceive me, your pastor. 
You may deceive your wife and you may deceive your husband and your children or your parents. And the sad thing is, you're deceiving yourselves. In what? Deceiving ourselves in what, James? Well, what's the context? The new birth, isn't it? Remember back up in verse 18? Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then James begins to apply all of that to that. So we'd have to say here in verse 22, deceiving your own selves that you have been a hearer, yes, but even someone who's been born again. And there are scores of thousands of people who believe they're Christians and yet there has been no change in their lifestyle. Outwardly or inwardly. Now, outwardly, they may have put on a good face and they try to look like Christians and all that, but inwardly, there's still the hatred, the wrath, the pride. It's never been mortified, put to death by Christ. Does it remain? Sure it does. We still all have indwelling sin. Not getting around that. But brethren, there is a lifestyle that follows. Has it with you? Are you still the same person you were before you made your profession? Before you even went down into the waters of baptism? Joined our church? Or whatever the case may be. Well, James is so adamant about this, he spends now verses 23 and 24 explaining it by illustration. Notice. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Remember what I said that word glass there meant? meant mirror. It's like looking at a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So this is in such an important matter that James has to stop now and he illustrates it. Now as we noted before, James apparently, he, he is, he's quite a master in illustration. Here again is a good hint for preachers. They need to be able to think up illustrations, either biblical ones or ones you can make up. It doesn't matter. But the point of the matter is we we illustrate the truth. Why? Because the truth is just there and it does need it. It needs some windows in it so that we can see it. It needs a little light to be able to get in so that we can understand. And James makes it very clear here what it means to be a doer and how you'll be deceived if you're not a doer of the Word. He illustrates it in this manner. He says, you're like a man who goes to a mirror and he looks looks at it. You know, and he looks and he sees a blemish. Oh, wow. Hmm. Or he sees another one. He sees a mole here. Or he sees a... You missed a spot shaving on that, that part right there. Instead of dealing with the situation of the mole and the, and the cut and the hair that's growing there, he just simply turns away and goes off as if it didn't make any difference whatsoever. He says, that's what it's like who's a hearer only. He looks in the mirror. He sees all the dirt, the blemishes. But he didn't do anything about them. It's a good illustration, isn't it? Because that's what the Word is like. It's like a glass. It's like a mirror. 
And it's able to show us all the dirt and the grime about us. It's able to show us everything that we are. You know, sinners don't surprise us, do they? If we know our Bible. We know they're capable of anything and everything. Why is that? Because they have sinful hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not man, but God. And God has revealed some of that in some measure in His Word. He says that's what a man is like who is a hearer only and not a doer. He's like a man who goes to the mirror, he sees himself, and then he turns away. And he forgets that he needed to shave this morning. He forgets that he had that scrape on his face that needs to have the blood wiped away. He just forgets. He says that's the way you are when you come to God's house. You sit and you listen, but you don't go and apply the Word of God. They're not an apt illustration. James is brilliant at this. He's going to give us more later on in illustrating other particular truths. But then he gives the other side of it in verse 25. And here he, here's the truth of the matter. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, his man, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, the key point of verse 25 is this. And it's the phrase, and continueth therein. That's contrasted with the fact back in 20, verse 22, it's a deceiving your own selves. Both are in the present. It's an ongoing activity. You're either deceiving yourselves or you're continuing in obedience. You're either fool beyond help or you're being obedient to the commands of God. The man who makes the effort to obey and continues, what does James say here? That man is blessed in his deeds. So here's a man, he comes to the Word, he comes to that mirror, and he looks and he says, Oh, I haven't shaved today. Here's what I will do. Now, I'm doing what I do at home. I take out the razor and I get the shaving cream. I lather up my face and I shave my face. I look at it. Yep, it's all there. And then I go. He says, that's what a man's like when he hears the word and he obeys. He takes care of the problems. He doesn't just look and then forget. He looks and remembers and he does. Sometimes? No. He's continuing. And he doesn't forget. Well, this man, James tells us here, is blessed. You want to know what a blessed man is? It's a Christian who walks in the way of truth. James, or Psalm 1, we're all familiar. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law doth He meditate day and night. Not just as a meditator, but as a doer. James or Psalm 119. We were singing from just a few moments ago. Not the same passage, but in Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. 
they also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us, now notice this, Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts, how? Diligently. Do them. Diligently. They work at it. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. That's how He responds back to that. Then I shall not be ashamed when I have respect unto all Thy commandments. Not some of them, but all of them. I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments. I will keep Thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. You see, that's a blessed man. The blessed man isn't that he's just a good hearer. A blessed man is someone who hears and obeys. So what category do you find yourself in this morning? Are you the blessed or are you the deceived? It's no secret. It's no mystery. It's not a, it's not a deep thing here to figure this out. It's either you obey or you don't obey. You're continuing in a walk of obedience or you're just coming to listen. And you go away without much thought and no doing. Notice something else about verse 25 there. He calls the Word of God the perfect law of liberty. Now, I know that he's talking about the Word because, again, back in verse 22, that's what the context is, isn't it? The Word of God. That's what he's speaking of. But be ye doers of the Word. That engrafted Word, as it's called. The Word of truth, back up in verse 18. What does James call it? What does he call the Bible? And in particular, really, the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments. What does he call it here? He calls it the perfect law of liberty. That sounds strange, doesn't it? To love God's law and to want to be a doers of that law, it's called, that law is called a perfect law of liberty. But that's not how we think of it, is it? We would think of keeping God's commands, keeping the Ten Commandments, as a bondage. We're not under the law, we're under grace. You hear people say that and have no idea what that verse means when they say it. They've never looked at the context. They've never studied it out. They just blurt that out as something that they just don't want to be under the law in any sense whatsoever. David, as a said man, said, I delight in the law of God. Paul, as a Christian man, says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I worry about folks who don't believe in the law today. You, may, you have to worry about them. Because their language is not the language of the New Testament at all. Sad, isn't it? It's called the perfect law. Not the perfect law of bondage. But it's called liberty. You see, and this is something that's hard to get into young people's minds, I think. Because I remember what I was like. The idea of keeping God's commandments rather being a bondage, that's liberty. You want to you experience true freedom in this life? Then obey God's Word. That's where true liberty is found. Listen to what David says. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty. 
Where did Paul, uh, David here find true liberty? Where did he find true freedom? He found it in the midst of walking in the precepts and the commands of God. You don't hear him screaming, it's a bondage. Rather, he sings, because these things were sung, by the way. He sings that he is walking in liberty as he obeys God's Word. You see, that's the blessed man. And so where does it lie with you this morning? Are you the deceived man or are you the blessed man? Well, let me close with some applications. First of all, after we hear, one of the things we ought to do, brethren, is, is to be swift to obey. We could add that in there without really being violent to the text at all. You know, he told us earlier to be what? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We could say to be quick to, to obey. Because that's really what it comes down to, doesn't it? It's great you're listening to me this morning. I trust you are. And you're drinking it in. But the true test will be, do you obey? Now again, if you're not listening, you, there's no way you're going to be obedient. So we're not putting down good listening habits. All we're saying is, listening is not enough. You have to obey the Word of God. That's the gauge by which you test your hearing of the Word of God. Have you obeyed? And are you obeying? Secondly, many do deceive themselves in this matter. Don't be mistaken about that. While the number of those who don't hear are a greater portion of those who do, that's true, yet there are far more hearers than there are doers. Did you catch that? There are a lot of people who come and hear God's Word. We live in a nation where people still do attend church in the main. There's still a lot don't. But there's still more hearers than there are doers. Don't be deceived either. Listen to what this one fellow said. Robert John Stone, Johnston from his exposition. He says, Yet alas, brethren, there is reason to fear that with great numbers of professing Christians in all sections of the church... Persons who attend the house of God listen with a fair measure of diligence to the proclamation of truth. And it may be, in intercourse with their friends, rather love to talk of sermons and ministers and orthodoxy. This is all. Whilst yet they are impressed with the convictions that they are certainly Christians. Nay, perhaps singly excellent Christians. Forgetting that any degree of religious profession where the heart is destitute of the love of God and the life not consecrated to his service is in his sight, that is in God's sight, utter mockery. You see, you may be able to take good notes in church, but do you obey? Thirdly, we need to recognize this morning that the Word of God works both ways. It can show us the bad as well as the good in us. Now, when I say there's good in us, that's only by the grace of God. But how can we as Christians judge our lifestyle if not by the Word of God? That would show us, yes, you've transgressed here, but you know, you've been faithful here, and you've been faithful here, and you're being faithful here. It's okay to make those comparisons. You're not being proud if you're honest in your testings with yourself. So that's lawful. 
So make use of it. Sure, it can point out sin. That's what the law of God is given for. But it's also a standard of what's right and what is right doing. So make sure that you're doing both of those things. Or if you just do one and not the other, you're going to be an imbalanced and you're going to have troubles and you'll be talking to me about your assurance and stuff like that. It's because you won't, you won't take a look at both sides of your walk. You need to examine both honestly with the Bible before God. And when there are good works, praise God for them. Because they have to be if you're a Christian. There has to be good works in you. If not, then you're not a Christian. Nope, that's what you're trying to discern. And when you see the bad, confess it and go on. The Word of God is for both of those. Fourthly, being a doer of the Word is to be the main business, brethren, of our lives. This doesn't mean we have to sit in a cave like a monk and think and to memorize and meditate upon Scripture. But it does mean, though, what we do hear, what we do know the Bible teaches, that we are to receive it and we are to apply it to each and every facet of our lives. Apply, you remember, we, we, we preach sermons on about your calling, our callings in life. Brethren, it's the Word of God who gives us the, the pathway in our walks whatever callings we have. What's it mean to be a good worker on the job? What's it mean to be a good husband? What's it mean to be a good wife? What's it mean to be obedient children? What's it mean to be a good brethren to the brethren? What's it mean to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves? All of those things are laid out in Scripture for us. And we ought to be following them. If not, then we have reason to doubt. Another thing we need to recognize why the Bible is a book that's filled with facts. It's filled with theology. And it's filled with all of those fun things we may like to study. But let me assure you this morning, it's still a very practical book. And to think that we're good Christians just because we can sit around and talk good theology. And that's all. is living a pipe dream. We have to live what we say we believe. And again, you may be correct to a hair on your theological discussions, but if you're not obedient, what's the Scripture saying? You're deceiving your own selves. I'm in no way putting a bad name on theology. We teach it in our classes. But brethren... You'll put theology in a worse light by your life. Not live according to the law of God. And then if you find yourself this morning with no heart for God, no heart and love for His Word, let me encourage you then to examine your grounds of your profession of claiming to be a Christian. You know, the Bible defines love to God as this keeping His commandments. Now, I'm, that's not to mean there's not emotions behind it or passions. There certainly are. But one of the major ways you know that you're exercising true love towards God, 1 John chapter 5 tells us, is that you're obedient to His Word. You keep His law. So how's your love this morning to God? Well, how do I know I love God? 
do you keep His commandment? Well, no, I don't keep it. Well, then you don't love God. That's as plain as it can be. And if that's where you're at, let me assure you this morning, and you still think you're a Christian, you're building upon that sandy foundation that Jesus warned those in the Sermon on the Mount about. And it won't be, well, you're just going to lose a few rewards when you get to heaven. My friend, what you will lose is your soul. You see, modern dispensational theology has taught us that all you'll lose is a few rewards when you get to heaven. You may just get in there butt naked, so to speak, but you're at least going to make it. That is not the teaching of Scripture. That's a lie that millions have been deceived upon. The Spirit of God does not work that way, that you just barely get to heaven. No, my friend. We are saved unto good works. And there will be good works. And so what you will lose at that last day is not a few rewards, but your very life itself. Jesus will turn to you and He will say, Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And it could be some even who sit here this morning. What a terrible day that will be to hear those words with no chance to change them. And you'll argue just as uh, those men there did, but Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in Your name? He's still going to say, I never knew You. That's why Jesus says in the next verse, Therefore, here is the wise man. He builds his house on a sturdy foundation. And what is that sturdy foundation? Hearing and obeying the Word of God. Now, this is not the foundation of your salvation. That's not what we're teaching. We're justified by faith and faith alone. But no one is a Christian without good works. No one. Seventhly and lastly, Christian, when you find yourselves in some way disobedient, let us stop, let us repent, and let us turn and seek forgiveness in Christ. That verse is still true. We will not ever wear the ink away from that verse. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He goes into chapter 2 explaining to us that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So if that's been our case, and we will sin, we do sin, just the nature of us, then you need to repent. And you need to look to Christ as well. And then look for both forgiveness and grace to be obedient. 